At its very core, drug science must remain independent. This means we don't accept sponsorships. It's with the support of the drug science community we're able to do this and make the podcast in the first place. If you're able to become a drug science community member and support the show, you too will be supporting the dissemination of evidence-based drug policies. Without you, none of this would be possible. For anybody interested, there's a link in the show notes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Drug Science Podcast with me, David Nutt. Here we're bringing together experts and activists for a rational, honest and informed conversation about drugs. A Fascinate Productions podcast for drug science. So today's uh, podcast from drug science is about medical cannabis. But it's not about the science, it's about the reality, the personal experience. And today we have a remarkable lady, Lucy, and her mother, Kate. And you'll hear the story of how they've worked their way through the, the system, through the medical profession, through illicit cannabis markets. And eventually, after a year of trying, have managed to get prescribed cannabis. And how that journey has taken Lucy from a state where she was bedbound in hospital uh, and running the risk of dying almost every month to actually now going off to university. So I'm sure you'll enjoy the podcast. So I'm going to start by talking to Lucy, this, uh, as I say, remarkable young lady with a syndrome that you've probably never heard of, called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. As a doctor, I only came across it a few times in my career. Turns out that a lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome are turning to medical cannabis. And I'm going to ask Lucy to tell us a bit about, about her background and, uh, and how medical cannabis actually turned her life around. So, Lucy, over to you. Thank you so much, David. I'm so honoured to be here. So I have a condition, like you said, called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And this is a connective tissue disorder, which basically means it affects all of my body um, because it affects the production of collagen. So it means that my internal organs and my joints, my blood vessels, my skin, pretty much all of me is too hypermobile and too lax. So it means that I can dislocate my joints, such as my shoulder, by literally like brushing my hair or dislocating my jaw by yawning. It means that I have spinal issues. This means that my digestive tract is really not great at functioning. My bladder also not brilliant. There isn't really a cure or a treatment for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and everything that is done is basically to improve quality of life and relieve symptoms. So before I came across cannabis, I took opiates pretty much every day from the age of about 12 until I was 19. And I had no idea what they were doing to my head or my, the dependency that I developed over that time until I was fortunate enough to be able to come off them because of the cannabis. I mean, I was literally taking every opiate, every benzodiazepine, every antiemetic, literally in every form intravenously because what happened was the combination of my digestive system not being very good and then the treatment of opiates consistently over the years just made it basically unable to function. I became very, very sick, dependent on feeding tubes, uh, unable to eat or drink, spent a lot of time in hospital until cannabis. (laughs) So Lucy, people won't quite understand why someone with a a connective tissue disorder would be on opiates. So do you want to explain to you how that happened? 
Sure. So, well, my condition causes me lots of pain. So dislocations that can then cause spasms and just debilitating pain, pain that keeps you up all night, pain that means you don't sleep, pain that just completely rules your whole entire life. And the current system really only offers opiates for severe acute or chronic pain. And so for years, I knew that opiates were not the best thing for me to be taking every single day. And my doctors would tell me this too. And as I became dependent on them, I realised, but we had simply no other option apart from increasing the doses. Everything is just quality of life. So increasing doses of medications for years and years and years, and they just become more ineffective over time, really. It was just crazy. And I remember you giving me a very graphic uh, anecdote about your jaw. Oh, yeah. I think you should share with people, just explain to people what a jaw dislocation is and what it feels like. When I, when I dislocated my jaw, it was literally the most excruciating thing ever. And you could literally see it very visibly. But I think so, also, sorry, my, coming in on here, you were all you did was yawn. Yes. Yeah. And so half of my face was literally to the other side, out of place. Right. Let me just, let me see if I can conjure up the image. So you're yawning then the lower jaw falls out of the socket and just moves sideways. It's my left cordial, if you know... Tem- Condyle, prim- yeah. Yes. That came out to the wrong side and then it was just stuck. Yeah. Some people will have dislocated a, a shoulder, but it's it's like that painful. So your, jo- your joint is actually disrupted and, and the bone is coming out of the joint and is sticking outside yeah. of the cheek. Okay. Basically, I was in hospital and doctors would come in daily to try and physically manipulate my joint back into the right place. But because wow. the spasm was so severe, I was literally having crazy benzodiazepines and opiates. I was on a PCA, so I was literally pressing a button and getting intravenous morphine into me because that was all they could do. I mean, I was completely zonked because I was just drifting, but in excruciating pain. And so then they tried this surgery where they wired it shut. They did that for a number of weeks. Um, But then the nature of my condition is that I dislocate very, very frequently. So within a few days of those wires coming off, my jaw dislocated again. We had the conversation that it could be like that forever. Yeah, they were contacting their consultants around the country. They were trying to get some sort of treatment plan. And they tried Botox. They tried increasing medications. They tried everything. Uh One day in a very, very, very emotional appointment with my pain specialist, where we were both almost on the brink of tears because... Yeah, we were in tears. Because he had been treating me with opiates since I was 13 years old. And so he had seen Mm. that these medications did very little to nothing to actually help me. And increasing the fentanyl at that point just wasn't really an option. No, so you'd you'd gone right up to the top. You'd gone up to fentanyl, the the strongest. Yeah, and so he literally had no no next step. And he knew that cannabis had antispasmodic properties. So that was his thinking when he vaguely suggested... What about a cannabis-based medicinal product, which I had never, never come across, never even heard of as a medication. But as NHS funding has been, it got denied straight away. So I was left stuck. And that was my last hope. To this point, you're 19, are you? 18. 18. And you've been in hospital on and off for quite a few years. Yeah, I'd been having surgeries and all sorts, really all through my teenage years. Oh, you've had surgery as well, not just for your jaw then, for other things? My hips, my spine, my stomach, anything else. (laughs) You were costing the health service hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. 
And I think also because you were on a feeding tube, you were constantly going in with sepsis infections. I mean, the first year you were in, on a feeding tube, you had sepsis at least six times, yeah. ending up in ICU. So, yeah. Sorry, Kate, when you say a feeding tube, you mean an intravenous feeding tube? Yeah. Wow. You couldn't swallow food. Yeah, basically. I was literally end phase. There was nothing. No. There was absolutely nothing. So your doctor was rather astute. He said, why don't you try some cannabis? And you said, well, why not? What happened then? He couldn't get it. He tried to prescribe it to me. He wrote the prescription. He'd never done that before. He didn't know what to do. Um, he didn't know, he, he uh-huh. didn't know how to write the prescription. Yeah, that, and it was, was it was right around November 1st, 2018, which was when the law changed. So we thought, uh-huh. maybe this will get through. But it didn't. As we all know, nothing actually changed after November 1st. I got a letter yeah. basically telling me that if I was prescribed cannabis, I was likely to... There was a one in four chance that I would develop psychosis. There was... <laughs> almost no chance of it having any benefit to me. So <laughs> that shut the door basically and said, nope, it yeah. will not be happening on the NHS. Right. So you must have been pretty despondent at that point. I mean, it was the only thing that we had our hopes on at all, really, yeah, wasn't it? But what it did do was plant that seed in your head, cannabis. <laughs> so, Kate, tell us what you did then. Tell us what you did as a mother. Well... Lucy got in contact with a friend of fr- friend of a friend, got a little supply, um, tried that out. It was, it was honestly, if I had that now, I would not medicate with it because it was <laughs> the poorest quality cannabis. Nobody should touch that kind of stuff. And this is the thing: is that patients currently right now, who knows what they're accessing? Because whatever that was, I don't even know who it was no, cannabis. I, to be honest, no. So anyway, what we did, we no, went to Amsterdam. Yeah, we thought we need a we need a trip away. We um, we got the Eurostar over to Amsterdam. And that, I mean, we say that like we just did it, but that was a big feat for us because, I mean, I was really seriously ill at that on. time. It was like a proper big trip to go away and everything. So let me, let me just say a few words here before you tell us, because I remember even when I met you, when you were stabilised on cannabis, and we've, met, we've known each other now, I guess, for about half a year or more, you were in a wheelchair. So you must have been in absolute agony going to Amsterdam, weren't you? It was not an easy trip to make. No, as we all. had to go with all your medication. I mean, we would have done that just to go and sit in a coffee shop, and that's what we did, basically. <laughs> I, I kind of hope we had the idea we were going to go anyway, and then there was the added... Um, <laughs> The added, the added incentive of um, trying out some cannabis. But it was, so, yeah, that we, we did a weekend trip to Amsterdam. So you arrive in, you arrive in the big station in Amsterdam, yeah. which I know extremely well, and then you, you push yourself across that great thoroughfare where there's all those trams going, chugging, and you've got to be careful you don't get run over. Yeah. And you go down to the we right. We found and the you only want, accessible found... coffee shop I could find in Amsterdam. <laughs> the only wheelchair accessible coffee shop. <laughs> and yeah. we turned up they had menus there neither me nor you knew my nor my mom knew anything about cannabis i really hadn't looked into it and i really really should have done because both me and my mom got absolutely stoned like off our you know and my mom obviously tried it too should not be the introduction to medical cannabis no. that patients oh, i see so it was not pleasant i have to say what what did you say? I want some cannabis. We just, we just ordered it. They weren't. That yeah, we must have looked and thought that sounds nice. I can't. We were so naive, honestly. <laughs> they did it in a in a volcano, so these huge grates. Oh yes, <laughs> we use them for our research. Okay, yeah. So we used one of those. It did not have a good effect on my mom at all. It, no, 
You remind me. Did either of you see that program we did? Cannabis Live. Yes, I did actually. Yeah. Sounds like what we did when we gave John Snow a, a volcano. He didn't like it very much either. No, made me absolutely paranoid. And I mean, Lucy, Lucy yeah. was the mum in that situation. Yeah. I remember sitting there thinking. How are we going to get Lucy's chair out of this building? How are we going to get up the road? Where is the hotel? How am I going to do Lucy's TPN when we get back to to the hotel? I was I was in a in a mess. That is not how I medicate now by any means. I was having pain right. relief. I will not lie. And what happened then is I had had a continual fever for about a year, which was very strange and very un- really unexplained, but just this constant that yeah. made me feel rubbish. That moment I medicated, it went away. And we thought, this must be, this we we must, thought, I must be allergic to England. Yeah, and it must go be, back. It must have gone away because I'd gone, gone away. We, had no, we did not connect the dots that actually I'd had a medication and my body, I could only think that it started to regulate itself and it started to calm down and it started to whatever. And since then, I do not get the fevers that I used to get no. then. Well, that's suppressing the inflammation. But do you remember what you actually took? What was it called? It was, what the strength it was? was? It would have, been, would have been high THC something. Probably, I think I want to say it was called amnesia haze or something like that. I mean, it was not how you should. <laughs> Thinking back, I, I know a lot more about cannabis now. <laughs> well, I'd like to say that we, you, I did allow you to carry on. Um, not that it was an allowing thing at all, but we carried on with our... Uh, Pursuing yeah. what how it might help and uh, goodness how it helps. So so hang on. So you you you're in the you're in the coffee shop and you're <laughs> inhaling you're from your and you're get you know your mum's stoned out of her head <laughs> on the side and feeling very weird and you're suddenly beginning to feel wow I'm not sweating anymore and I'm not in so much pain. So then you you took some away with you and carried on using. Did you did you carry on? So smoking? I've always vaporized and I mm-hmm. medicated again in Amsterdam and then I was too scared to bring it home with me. Because I remember you telling me that yeah. I should just bring it with me. And yeah. I said, no, that's drug trafficking. <laughs> I got home and then I found a source at home that was much more reputable. Right. And then I, I started to research it. And I started to realise, actually, apart from my mum getting absolutely stoned, I feel much better. And this is actually making a really big difference to me and my health. And I don't feel like I need to take anti-sickness around the clock t- constantly. And I don't feel like I need to take right. all of these additional opiates. And your jaw, more importantly, which mm. is the reason for going into it for the first place, we had no idea what was going to happen going forward. But your jaw then, slowly, within the, a week or two... The spasm, which... Yeah had just been at this constant lock and you could literally feel this spasm on the side of my face like and it just so slowly but very surely like unlike any other medication did actually relieve that was all i wanted from the whole from me looking at cannabis that was all i ever expected was hopefully some relief from my jaw pain you got a lot more didn't you you got a lot more benefit tell us about that i very quickly realized that all of the medications that i had been taking every day since I was a child actually did basically nothing and had a lot a lot of side effects so I started stopping to take them one by one under the guidance of my doctor particularly for reducing the fentanyl and once I'd gotten through that horrible horrible withdrawal period but I think also sorry cannabis helped you a lot with the withdrawal Mm. that's interesting it made it a lot more manageable for you yes I had a withdrawal period when I was about 15 and that was the most horrendous experience on like my physical and mental health ever. Whereas when I had the cannabis this time to aid my withdrawals, it did not have that horrendous effect that it did previously. And I think 
loving your story, but I just throw in something here that that makes scientific sense. Okay, just so so people often think, well, it's all placebo, but there is a there is a neuroscience to what you've just said about cannabis alleviating opiate withdrawal, which is great because we should people should be thinking about using it more. And if it wasn't for the hysteria that you started off being confronted with about the harms of cannabis, we would use, be using it for opiate dependence a lot more, I'm sure. Anyway, sorry, carry on. So you started to manage and you managed to get down off your medications. I stopped taking all of them, mm-hmm. really, by the January, February time. So a number of months in. My whole life just started to change. I, I honestly cannot explain that feeling of having my brain back because since I was a child, I was taking these opiates and thing with opiates that I certainly didn't even realise the effect that they had on me. It's this weird sort of haze that stops you really feeling your emotions and really kind of having a grasp of what's going on and understanding relationships. Like it really, it really messed with my head since I was a child and until I came off of them, it was mad. And my physical rehabilitation since coming off those medications and just purely being on the cannabis, it was definitely a combination of those two that made such a big difference was that I wasn't having, my gut wasn't being slowed down by the opiates. My, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't absolutely exhausted. I could get out of bed in the morning without being like a zombie and having, you know, just sleeping all day. Yeah. I'm going to come back to this later, but are you, let's, here are your stories. So what happened then? You, you went back to see your doctor? This is something that really upsets me, is that the whole time I was medicating illegally, I was way too scared to tell my doctors. Even though I was, oh, even right. though I was coming off fentanyl and coming off these things and having all these miraculous improvements, they must have thought, what? Like, <laughs> where's this come from? But of course, I mean, if a patient wants to come off fentanyl, they're not going to, they're going to be happy about it. But they didn't know why until I had the security of the prescription. And I find that so sad thinking back that I couldn't have that open and honest conversation with them, even though it was an illegal drug, because they just, I was so scared of what they would have thought. But now they recognise the uh, enormous improvement that's been made. Mm. And when they saw me, I mean, they described it as a transformation because that is what happened, really. Like, well, at that stage as well, you were off your feed- feeding tube as well, so you were you could physically eat again. Um, or starting to, yeah, yeah. And it was just all these things that for years and years I'd had tests that told me, okay, you're not going to be able to do this again. You're not going to be able to do this again. You're going to be on all of these medications for the rest of your life. That wasn't that wasn't right. That was everything was changing, and my whole life was changing. Even when you were in the hospital seeing your doctor. And you had a prescription. I remember the one doctor saying, but it's only CBD, isn't it? And Lucy said, well, no, it's no. Whatever, 22% THC or whatever, whatever it was. And that they just couldn't handle that. And that they? was a step too far. It and, was... I, and I think that you having your prescription and being able to say that made all the difference. Mm. Um, otherwise, it, it, you would have been just dismissed, I think. Yeah. I wish doctors could be just more open to it that no matter the source, it wouldn't shut down. But I know... The comfort of having it prescribed by another doctor, that being a pharmaceutical grade medication, that is so important for patients. Yes. Yeah. Well, I agree. That's it's outrageous that you had to go to the black market and put yourself at risk, not just of being poisoned with something else, but also getting a criminal record to access something which was going to transform your life. It's also outrageous that the medical profession would be so distrusting of your story 
and the thousands of other stories. The concept, they prefer you to have intravenous fentanyl over a vaporized cannabis is, I find that, as a doctor, I find that completely bizarre because the relative risks are so are so different. I mean, fentanyl kills you, cannabis doesn't. And yet people are, people are terrified. Why, why do you think this? people are so terrified of cannabis? Why are doctors so hostile to it? Well, they just don't know. They I just think they're, also, they're educated of the risks of it rather than of the positive sides of it. And I think yeah, that's like, like I was told, there's a one in four chance of you developing psychosis. You think they believe that then? You think they, it's not, that's not just an excuse? You think they genuinely are ignorant I would hope not. I would really hope not. And I really hope that as the education is there, because, you know, it is there as doctors want to reach out to it. I really hope that it... Yeah, things will change. Things will change. And as prescriptions become more widespread, that will happen as well. Yeah, and I'm hoping that your doctors might be some of the pioneers there. I mean, are they are they champion? I mean, they must have seen the transformation because you've gone from being intra- having intravenous feeding in a wheelchair or being in hospital to someone who now, the last time I saw you, you were wandering around with just a single stick. It's amazing. You're so transformed. It is, honestly. And like, this is the thing, is that now I have pain relief and stuff. I can do the exercise and I can do all the things that will strengthen me and make me stronger whereas when I had the opiates they didn't help me do anything they just put me into a daze and made me fall asleep whereas now I can take a medication and function which is changes everything yeah it absolutely does so let's just finish the story so you started off uh, getting the stuff illegal and I remember I just want to share this anecdote about my first meeting with you, Kate, when when we were talking about the transformation from getting it illegally uh, and to getting getting a prescription. I said, how much does it cost? And you said, oh, I think it was, was it £1,400 a month? Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh my God, that's terrifying. You said, well, it's a lot better than the 2000 I was paying every month to go and get it from Amsterdam. So share with us the sort of economic impact of, your, of, of what it is, what it's been like to have to source this. Well, this is a massive, massive problem. And for me, because I do require a number of cannabis products. So I need the oil, which has the THC in it. I need the CBD oil. And then I need the flour as well for the acute pain relief. So those three different components on a prescription. Okay. Actually, that at that point, you, you will have to explain to people the difference. Because mm. not everyone is as expert as you. In fact, very <laughs> few people are as expert as you. So I'm prescribed a number of different cannabis-based medicinal products. One of them is a CBD product. Uh, Well, I'm not actually prescribed it. I buy it. So CBD is what you can buy over the counter in any store. CBD is cannabidiol. Cannabidiol, yes. So that is the non-intoxicating component of cannabis. So it has some pain-relieving and modulating properties and is also good for anti-anxiety. It really can mitigate some of the negative effects that THC or tetrahydrocannabinol can have right. on your mental health. Good, good. Um, but I think there's a massive precon- like misconception that CBD is the only medicinal part of cannabis because THC in its own way and its own use has just as much use if, um, yes. to a lot of medical patients, including myself. Let me just say, I think just to get absolute clarity here, Cannabidiol has been legal and has always been legal in Britain. It's, it's not been much used and it's now becoming used. It's got a license uh, for the treatment of some forms of epilepsy in, in children. But it's always been legal. 
Uh, whereas THC, that's the element that, that makes you stoned, and that's, a, that's been illegal since, uh, well, since the 1960s. Okay, so tell us about the combination. You use CBD and you also use THC. Mm. So, and because I personally, my products are done, so I have the, them separately. So I can increase my THC dose or decrease it as necessary. Whereas my CBD, I keep as like a constant every day, three times a day thing, if that makes sense. You take the THC and the CBD as drops, do you, under your tongue? Or, or how do you take Yes. It? So those are, those are sublingual oils. Mm -hmm. And yes, yeah, so they just... And then I will also take... Um, flower alongside which people don't believe you can get prescribed until you actually see it because it is quite strange having these little medicine bottles filled with cannabis flower. So this is the dried flower of the cannabis plants. Yeah. Tell people what you do with it. So then I put it into a vaporizer and then I heat it up to about 180 degrees. Then within about if I'm in severe severe pain that can decrease my pain from a 9 out of 10 to a four out of ten within five to ten minutes which is absolutely mind-blowing for me it's from someone who used to have to take these intravenous medications these all sorts of different things to get any sort of quick relief now i can use a vaporizer and within 10 minutes i'm so much better most people listening to this who don't understand cannabis will assume that a vaporizer is like a sort of modern kind of e-cigarette with oil, propylene glycol, and it's not like that. Explain it. You're not vaping as nicotine. You're vaping. The, you're just taking the dried flour, putting it into a little compartment, the back with uh, having a battery just heat the flour. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so it's, it's just it's, it's pure cannabis. Yeah. Else. No oils. No solvents. No. Because no. this is quite important. Because there there has been this outbreak in the states, as you know of. Uh, of people running into problems vaping cannabis but using solvents uh, which are toxic so anyway we just want to make it absolutely clear you're there's sure. no solvents here you're just you just take the flower which you now can get on prescription and you can put it into your little heating device and off it steams off basically the the uh, the THC you Breathe it in and you get pain relief very rapidly. Great. Exactly. So those are the three different things you take. So they've transformed your life. So you haven't been in hospital since you started this? No. And in fact, when you were asking the question, what do your doctors think? Lucy will do everything she can to keep away from a hospital or a doctor's surgery. Seeing the doctors. trauma of all those years of growing up in a hospital and getting really, really sick, I will avoid avoid anything by all costs now and luckily i have the means to treat myself at home now and that that's unbelievable but it's very important lucy surely that you go back and show those doctors how you yes they must be treating hundreds of people with I know. opiates chronically mm. and not realizing that many of those could benefit from uh, it is, it, I mean, I've often said to you oh you should you should get back in contact but i know it's a big thing for you to deal with that but saying that you do have a lot of people you know or through social media or know face to face to contact you and say we've seen your story how, how can I get cannabis mm. and this, that's a really sad thing is that I wish all those people I, I get messages all the time people asking me about how to consume about what family think about all sorts of different things and I just think I can't wait for the day that you can just go to your medical professional and sit down with them and say, I'm interested in this. Can you tell me 
objectively what the what the what the pros are what the cons are what how i should go about it and they shouldn't have to message somebody on instagram to find out health advice that shouldn't that shouldn't be how it works at all when it's just a medication i don't know what you think i think part of the problem getting doctors to buy into uh, medical cannabis and you know I, i am a doctor myself is that the patients are ahead of the doctors yeah. And doctors are kind of resistant to being t- enlightened by patients, which I find very sad because I'm always grateful if anyone enlightens me on anything. <laughs> no, I think it does really change kind of the power dynamic because yeah. even like dosaging with medical cannabis, it's very much go low and slow, follow what the patient feels. Mm-hmm. They increase it as they need to, which isn't really the case with any other medication. It's very much clinician led they prescribe to you how often you take it and it's all the contact you have whereas this medication needs the patient to be in control and to understand it and to be able to report how it's working for them but i that is the absolute beauty of it that it it is in your your power and you use it as 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 and when you need it and because you don't have the risks of oh if i take too much i'll die yeah you know it's it does change how the medication works massively. You know, I'm, I'm thinking we must, the very least, we should send a podcast to the, all the doctors, particularly the ones who've, who've um, agreed to prescribe to you. So, so you are getting a prescription from the NHS at present, is that right? No. Oh, you're getting a private prescription. Okay, I see. Well, yeah. So I'm currently between a private prescription and the black market still, to be honest, because over £1,000 a month for over a year is not sustainable. So that is why things like Project 2021 will completely change my life, because I cannot wait for the day that I can know that my medication won't send me into debt, and I'll be able to get it reliably every single month. I'll know exactly what it is. I'll know exactly how much I should take when. That I can't wait for that. Oh, well, should I just say a few words about that? And, and obviously, you can chip in as well, um, both of you. But So what Lucy's talking about, Project 2021, is a, an initiative that Drug Science has set up, supported by a number of producers of medical cannabis, and, uh, and, and working with what used to be called the United Patients Alliance, and what will now, when the time you hear this podcast, be called PLEA, Patient-Led Engagement for Access to Medical Cannabis. And we we were horrified to discover the middle of last year that uh, despite cannabis being allowed to be prescribed on the NHS, there have been almost no prescriptions, maybe six or seven. And we talked to doctors and they said they didn't know about it and they couldn't do it, they didn't want to do it. So we decided to do it for them. And we've set up this enormous registry for patients with a range of different symptoms, which could be amenable to medical cannabis, uh, where we were going to get it, get the price right down. We're hoping to get it down to £150 a month for the average user of medical cannabis. And we want to get 20,000 patients into that registry. So then in a, a year or so, as it runs, it's going to run till 2021, we will be um, uh, able to have a database that will hopefully convince doctors in Britain that this is a not only a, an effective and cost-effective treatment, but also a safe one, because we will, I'm sure, show that uh, the majority of people who use this don't become psychotic. The idea that 25% are going to go psychotic is completely ridiculous. And we know that from Canadian databases. So that's what 2021 is about. And uh, we're really grateful that Lucy is uh, a champion for this. So when we've been trying to raise funding for it, we've, Lucy's been out there 
telling everyone how her life has been transformed, as it has been, and I've seen it. I've seen it transformed in the last nine months, and obviously her mother. You, you must feel enormously relieved, Kate. Yeah, I never, ever imagined we'd be in this position. As we've touched on, things were, were desperate. It, it can only be described as a miracle, and I cannot believe I'm saying the words now. I mean, it's her, her quality of life was poor. Her, her long-term prognosis was poor. The amount of time she was getting sepsis and, and, and so on. It's, yeah, I would never have imagined we'd be at the stage. And, and getting stronger and stronger. We're not, you know, it, it keeps giving, it keeps giving. Um, and the, the amount of times Lucy is in excruciating pain and will medicate with, have a vape or something. And I still say to her, Lou, is it helping? And she'll go, yes. You know, and I, it's, I still, even after 18 months or cannot believe the difference it makes it's, we never uh, got that from, well no i know i, know, I never I, once I, turned around to you and said oh i took that medication and i feel better no. like yeah. that never happened once in my whole life uh, you're you're off to college now is that right so yeah i'm doing a degree in combined science technology engineering and maths wow. so and then my plan is to go on and do a master's in medical cannabis science and therapeutics um, uh, in Maryland. <laughs> in the, yes. Well, sadly, yeah, you, you know, it's unlikely we're going to have those kind of masters in Britain. It is unfortunate. You know, we really are lagging behind the, uh, the many of the other Western countries in terms of medical cannabis, which is really unfortunate because actually British scientists, most people don't know that, but the, the, many of the active ingredients of, of medical cannabis were discovered by British scientists, particularly the Pertwee and colleagues up in Aberdeen. And, and despite that, you know, we've, um, we've not managed whatsoever to, um, to publicize and uh, develop our, our inventions and other countries have, have accelerated and overtaken us because they have been realistic and, and open-minded, whereas we have continued to use prohibition of cannabis as a way of getting political traction and punishing poor people. You know, I mean, that, uh, we won't go there because it upsets me to think about how many people like you could have benefited from this if we just had a more rational approach just even 10 years ago. So I want to talk to you now a little bit about the uh, the organisation which uh, you have been a, a real flag bearer for, the United Patients Alliance, and you're telling me uh, that it's changing its name, and as this broadcast goes out, it'll be called PLEA. Do you want to share with us some of the, uh, the what's happened with UPA and tell us about it and why it's changing and where it's going? Yeah, so the UPA was formed way back in 2014, and it has done an incredible, phenomenal job at bringing in the law change um, in 2018 and also working alongside drug science to bring about things like Project 2021. But we realised we need to relaunch and refocus on our mission as the whole climate has changed and hone in the campaigning on ensuring that we are aiming for NHS prescriptions for medical cannabis and making sure that we are campaigning for purely prescribed medical cannabis on the NHS. It's a nice it's a nice title, plea. Yeah, you're pleading for rational prescribing for people like you. Indeed. I just want to say, I mean, one of the things that your case illustrates, and I don't know if you've done any cost-benefit analysis, but have you worked out how much money you've saved the NHS in the last year since you've been paying for your own treatment and they, you've not been in hospital and not had all those lines in? And I mean, it used to be 
upwards of 400 pounds 350 pounds a day yeah. just on the medications i was taking oh just no, on the medications I, not the hospital well, admissions well oh no, not including hospital no because no. you were on um because of all the tubes and then the nursing and then the all this management that was needed to manage my condition like it was exponential figures and my doctor said this to me too when i you know they said well this is much you know this makes sense even if the prescription does cost a thousand pounds a month and that sounds obscene but when you put it next to what the nhs was having to pay to keep me alive just alive barely alive (laughs) hardly really yeah it's 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 insane and you know yes so we are hoping to just as an aside in 2021 we are hoping to do um a cost effectiveness uh, sub analysis as well because it's clear that, that if we can take people with really severe syndromes like yours and transform their lives it, there's going to be a vast amount of saving to the nhs and you you know again you know you'd hope that doctors and pharmacists and managers would celebrate that and and want to at least to to see if they could maximize that or understand it rather than just resist it on the grounds of some some ancient misunderstanding that stems back to the war on drugs. No, and like now I'm studying to do a degree. I will have a job one day and, you know, and that was things that I was never, ever going to be able to do. And I'm actually now going to be somebody who contributes to society. And I'm not cured. Like, I still have my conditions. It's not not a cure, but I can live a life now. And how, how insane is that? No, well, you are, I keep telling, I used to, try to encourage Lucy to write an article, but which she did, in fact. But uh, I think now you have to write a book, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> One day. I've got a long way to go, I think. Well, you're, you know, your story... But you're not alone. And, and this is... So share with us the sort of... Your, the experience of working with the UPA and, and the people that are there and what are, why are they taking medical cannabis for and how they... What kind of sufferings they... I mean, how, how typical are you? I mean, obviously, you're more yeah. extreme than many, but... No, this is the thing. It's... Everybody you speak to has an, a phenomenal story about how they have been able to stop whatever medication and be able to whatever. And I think I feel lucky because my case is so clear cut. Like that is so clearly a benefit. Like you cannot you cannot argue with it. You can't defy it. Whereas there are so many people who their lives have been completely transformed, but in a different way. And so people stigmatize them and they don't believe them and they don't accept that cannabis could actually be a medicine that helps them because they just... It just doesn't happen. That's what I love about the organisation being patient-led. It is by patients, for patients. When you first came across the UPA, it was a huge support for you. I mean, I had never met other people who used cannabis as a medicine. I didn't know you could get it on a prescription. I didn't know. I was so misinformed on the current situation. I I had no idea. And unless the organisation existed, I would never would never have been able to find out that kind of thing. And so I think it's so vital that patients have the ability to connect because the whole system, being able to get a prescription, that kind of thing, is so hard to navigate through a patient like and understand because things change so quickly and it's so expensive. So so somewhere patients can go to actually get... And and safely go to and not be stigmatised. And actually get information about how they can get help um, from people who understand is... It's so vital. So there are plenty of other people out there like you who can spread the word and beat the drum and and lobby their GPs. We're trying. Yeah, Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, basically. 
Um, and it's no very much thanks to organisations like Drug Science who are willing to work with us and who were willing to amplify our voices further and take us seriously. And, you know, five years ago when the UPA was formed, medical cannabis was barely, barely recognised as a thing was, you know, and so we've come a long way since then. We really have. And so who knows where we'll be in another five years. Wow. If it's not a licensed medication that's widely used in the NHS, I should be very disappointed. That's, mm. that's perhaps my biggest ambition left in medicine is to try to get the medical profession to uh, to really see the value of these different, because there are so many different formulations with different pharmacologies and different target indications. But I want to finish by mm. asking you to tell me, I mean, obviously your mother is a great fan and your, and your mother has been really very important in, in allowing you to get to this stage. But what about other family members? What about friends? What about the general public? What's their attitude? Do you still find the stigma there? Yeah. I think even now, still going down the road, if you're vaporising, even if you've got a prescription, I think you're still thinking who... It's never happened, I don't think, but who might approach me and say, what are you using? Why? You know, it's illegal. Mm. We've had one occurrence when we'd been away on holiday where we had a knock on the door. Uh, We were at Centre Parks, actually, and... Mm -hmm. They said, well, you've been reported that you're using an illicit drug in this property. And thank goodness Lucy very swiftly turned around and said, well, yeah, I am using cannabis. It's not illegal and had the prescription with her. So, but, you know, there'll be people like I'm so lucky that I have that security. I know, I totally agree. You know, and it is that because there are so many people who are just forced to use it illegally because they cannot access a prescription. And that is what needs to change. That's exactly right. That's what 2021 serves to achieve hopefully we'll have 20,000 people walking around using medical cannabis with prescriptions so they can educate policemen educate doctors educate the general public that medical cannabis is a a real addition uh, to the the medical pharmacopoeia so so lucy and kate thank you so much for sharing with us and congratulations to both of you for achieving so much in such a short time and also of course thanks for uh for supporting everything we're trying to do. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, I told you at the beginning that this was going to be a remarkable podcast and Lucy's story was a remarkable story. And uh, I think that was an understatement. She is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And uh, she's a pioneer of medical cannabis. Uh, She's also a pioneer of something perhaps even more important, a pioneer of of patient involvement in in decision-making and uh, interventions for their own benefit. I find it sad that there may be many thousands of patients out there who would equally benefit from medical cannabis who are being denied it. And uh, please do follow us, follow Drug Science, follow my tweets about 2021, because we need an initiative like this to try to bring the realities uh, of medical cannabis to the medical profession and to all those other patients who still are scared of it because of the misinformation that's been out there on cannabis for for many decades. 